Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today I'm delighted to tell you all that we are welcoming back to the show the fantastically talented Michael Ananins. Michael is someone that we had on the show way back at the beginning and lots has happened since then so it was great to sit down with Michael and just have a good old catch up and chat about improv and comedy and and all sorts. You're going to love this chat. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now it's time to go off script and find out more about Michael's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome our returning guest. It's Michael. Hello. Great to have. Well, it's great to have you back on the show, Michael. You were guest number three when the show first started, and now uh, sixty plus episodes later, it's great to have you back. Yeah, it's come, it's come a long way. The um, the podcast has been absolutely um, brilliant. I'm gl- so glad to be back again. Yeah, so I remember when I first had you on, the show was very much in its infancy. We were still trying to figure out what it was, and I had more of a a script of questions and things. Uh, But it's evolved a lot since then, and it's just a lovely little chat now between friends. Smashing. That's (laughs) good. So, yeah, I just want to talk, uh, because I feel you've got so many great stories to tell. We were just talking before we started to record, and every now and again, you'll just post a random little story, and I'm like, wow. That's incredible. Like Michael's had such such an exciting and varied, interesting life. And there's just uh, so much to talk about. Even though we spoke uh, 60 plus episodes ago, I just feel we only scratched the surface and there's so much more to talk about. I've had a very long life. I know that. <laughs> very long life. Um, I mean, recently, um, I've tried my hand at stand-up comedy. And... Um, I went along on a Wednesday to the Hot Water Comedy Club. Yeah. Saw some acts, and they were brilliant. They were absolutely fantastic, all of them. Um, and there was one, you, you know him, Dan Tiernan. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, well, he, I said to him, look, I'm, I'm going to give it a go on next Monday on the open mic. And he said to me, don't do that. Come along on Monday and watch. And that will give that will settle your nerves. You will see some that you will think, well, if they can do it, then so can I. I told him I was absolutely petrified of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I did. I went along on the Monday, and there were some that were um, just totally unprepared, totally unprepared. Um, and that kind of gives you a little bit, and I'm not being unkind to anyone, um, but they were some, some of them were just unprepared. I'm not saying whether they were good or bad or funny or not. Yeah. But he just went to bed, which is a bit of a sin, really. <laughs> so um, I went along on the Monday, um, and I did one, and it went down really, really well. It got loads of laughs. Everything got laughed. I got some applause. Um, and then after it finished, the compare told the audience it was my first gig, so they all went absolutely wild. Um, the photographer came over to me, 
and said, you know, that was brilliant. Um, the um, the compere came over. The the girl from the um, the technical box. I was going to the toilets during the break, and the audience members were coming up saying, "Oh God, you were so funny, you were brilliant." So I'm thinking, "Oh, I've cracked it. I've cracked it. <laughs> I'm a comedian now, and that's you." Um, so you can't do two weeks on the trot. So I had to miss a Monday out, and then I went back to following Monday, and I floated onto the stage like Liberace. You know, <laughs> I am the bee's knees, and. I only got a slight, a slight giggle from the back of the room for my first two jokes, which was a, for me was absolutely devastating because mm. you can't see up because of the lights. You you can only see the front row, and then it's what they call the abyss, just yeah. this darkness. Um, so it, it threw me completely, and my mind went blank, and I thought I had a contingency. Con- oh, what's that word? Contingency. Thank you. I had one of them <laughs> that I would do um, a little chat to the audience, which most, which is improv, really. And yeah. basically, what you do is what anyone does. You say, "What's your name?" and "What do you do?" and see if they can find any humour out of that. So the audience are on three sides. So I've picked them over to my left, and there's a couple there, um, early twenties, and I said, ah, "What's your name?" and I think it was Paul. I said, "What do you do, Paul?" And he says to me, I'd rather not say. And I just <laughs> thought it was really unlucky for me to have chose them, you know. Yeah. So I said, ooh, are you a spy? And everybody laughed and everything. And then um, I said to her, is that, is that how he got you on a date? Did he tell you we works for MI5, did he? That got a laugh again. And then, <laughs> she, then she said, um, no. I encouraged him to come out because we've had a serious death in the family. Oh. So I'm bringing it. So my brain immediately splits into two halves, a good half and a bad half. <laughs> the good half was saying, oh, well, I'm really sorry about that. And then just move on. And my bad half was saying, serious death. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something in there that I can play with. <laughs> What's a non-serious death? But, you know, I just left it and moved on. And um, and it sort of brought me back down to earth. And I'm wondering whether I'm strong enough um, to be able to do it. O- other comics, they go on some um, experienced comics come over Monday to try out new material. Yeah. And some of it doesn't work. And they don't care. They, they You know, they just go, they'll think, well, that's no good. I won't use that again. But to me, it was devastating. You know, I got some laughs towards the end of of the um, of the act, and that that brought me round. But all I could think of on the drive home was the bits that didn't work, and how devastating it was. And I'm never ever going to do it again. But <laughs> I, I think I will, though. I think I'll give it another go. Yeah, I think it's it's a weird thing. So I remember a, a bit like your story. A few years back, I went to the comedy store and there was a comedian on, and he was he was trying that thing, talking to the audience, and yeah. he picked on someone in the audience, and you could see where he wanted to go with the story. But this person, <laughs> this person turned out to be Olympic gold medalist Jay Jones, who's actually uh, from where I, uh, <laughs> from the area where I live. She's uh, a yeah. uh, um, taekwondo. Uh, world champion, uh, multiple Olympic gold medalist, and he, he was just like, "Oh, I, I, I can't possibly do anything with that." <laughs> he just moved on. 
um and so yeah it, it's look at the draw if you're gonna turn to the audience and things see i've spoken recently on on the show a, a bit about improv and for me the thing i can't get my head around is because i love improv so much and what i love about improv is spontaneity it, it's that on yeah. on the spot in the moment there's something uh if it's funny great if it's not funny it doesn't matter it's never going to happen again but then with comedy you've taken the time and you've thought i think this is funny and i think yeah. people will laugh and then you get out there and if they don't laugh well, then you're just going to assume that no one's going to laugh. So, yeah, okay, it didn't work there. But, like, as you say, seasoned comedians, they'll think, right, well, that might not work there, but it might work somewhere else. I'll just tweak it. Yeah. And So there's a thought process to go through. Yeah, absolutely. And then because I think what I was going to say was really, really funny, if it doesn't work, I start to think, well, is it? Do I know what's funny? Am I, am I, funny? Am I funny enough to, to be doing this in the first place? But it's like when when they say, oh, you know, I, I did this gig in a certain place, fantastic audience. And that's the difference, I think. Sometimes you can get an audience that's flat. And sometimes, yeah. like, on the first night, I thought it would go well because there was a one, just one woman there who was laughing so loud at absolutely everything. And I sat there and I thought, oh, great, I love her, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing is is um, what you mentioned in the podcast with um, with Stuart. I think is it feels a bit weird doing the same joke that you've yeah. already just done. That is so weird. It's like I felt um, I felt like I was a cheat. Can you imagine doing something in an improv scene and then going to another workshop and doing the same thing that you'd done in the previous? You just wouldn't because it worked in one improv. Yeah. Um, um, drop in that it might you know and doing the same thing it seems seems like cheating and I found that difficult that's why I've done some new stuff when I went the second time really yeah. I have honed in what I was doing the first time you know and kept the same gags I wish I wish I hadn't <laughs> and I've watched I've watched like live uh stand-up shows over the years or dvds of my favorite ones and it's it's yeah. a weird thing when the audience are expecting like a classic bit from yeah. like their earlier years and i'm like but they know it they've seen it but they still want to yeah. see it and then i'm like well well it's a bit like if you go watch a band you want to watch I their greatest hits yeah but yeah i think i think because your brain is very similar to mine in that it, it's it's reactive it's pun reactive it sees something it wants to think of something to react in the moment and um yeah we're not the sort that spend loads of time just like jotting it all down i mean yeah and, and the other thing is when you do um stand up you're on your own yeah. you know in improv you've always got support always one of my favorite things in improv, for me, is the off, off the back wall. Yeah. That's because it, it includes a bit of acting and and, and, and the improv, you get the support. Somebody's going to come on with you. And I like, I like the game, some of the games. I like some of the games. That's my thing. Um, could you hear that? Yeah, I'll just explain uh, for people listening. Michael is on his phone right now and he clearly just got some kind of message. So you yeah. might have heard a little buzz. Apologies for that. Um, <laughs> where was I? Um, oh. Yeah, sometimes I think it can, some people can overcomplicate improv. 
And maybe it's because I'm 62 years old. And I, maybe it's because I don't want to overcomplicate it. Yeah. I want to keep it simple. Um, and the like the stuff that the Oikers do, the the games. And that's why I love the, the, the drop-in on the, of a Monday. It's absolutely brilliant because it's, it's all short form. Um, we did do a Harold once, and that was okay. That wasn't too bad. I'm pretty sure it was a Harold um, where there were... There were like eight people, four couples, and we were in a village. That makes any sense. And then we had to go back, and then and the next time it was in the future. But there was another game. I don't know what it was called, but it was absolutely crazy, and I got lost completely. Again, it was about four couples in four different teams, four different time periods. It could have been Superman and Lois Lane and Sherlock Holmes and Watson in another one. But then they cross over and come into each other's scenes, like Superman oh, with right. a Watson. I'm not <laughs> sure what that's called. And that's, I just thought, I've lost it now. I've completely <laughs> lost the plus. I've no idea what's going on. Here's Batman, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's maybe because of my age and the, the concentration levels. I like to keep it simple, really. Yeah, improv. Well, you came to the last Oikers gig and, you know, I hadn't improvised with you or seen you improvise for a long time at that point. And you got up in the jam and you did a scene and you absolutely smashed it. And I was like, oh, yeah, Michael is so good. <laughs> like, that, that's what I've missed seeing. It was dead hard. That, um, it was a great show as well. I loved the show. It went down really, really well. So many people smashed it, you know. Yeah. Um, it, completely. Um, um, Jeff was brilliant. Seki was absolutely fabulous. Yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody. At, um, and the Teddy who always impresses me is, is Dave. He yeah. always impresses me. He has this, um, this like a calmness and a, consi- a consideration. So you, you can relax. I think Stuart mentioned this as well. I think you both, you both mentioned this in, uh, in that podcast where you can just, um, you can relax more and it's not bang, 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 or, or, you know, so fast and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Dave's very good with physical stuff as well. So, it, it, and it can just be a slow little transition that he's doing physicality and and then it builds to this great little punchline perhaps. But yeah, you've got to go with the physical journey as well. Yeah, and he, his object work is, is, is always good. Sometimes I don't think of that at all, um, but he, he's always on the ball with the object work. And I'll tell you what game he's brilliant at, and that's the one where you you have a, a buzzword, and if that's mentioned, you've got to leave the scene, and when it's mentioned again, you come back into the scene. He yeah. always has a fantastically funny excuse to where he's just been, <laughs> why he's got to go. You know. Yeah, and directs it, that. it's a great game. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so just going back to the stand-up thing for a sec, oh, yeah. uh, I want to ask, have you ever seen the show Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? No, I haven't, no. Uh, that is a show I highly recommend. It's on Amazon Prime. I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it um, on the... And What's it about then? So it's about a woman in the 50s. She's... She's a Jewish woman in New York, and she decides she wants to be a stand-up 
and she's oh. a Jewish woman in New York. So she basically got, and it's the fifties. So basically everything is against her, but she is really funny. Yeah. And she, she starts out supporting her husband who wants to be a comedian, but he's basically just stealing his jokes, but she's genuinely funny. And she's always making notes for him on how he can improve. And then she realizes basically, Oh, I could do this for myself. Yeah. Um, and that's what it's about. And it kind of taught me, Oh yeah. It, it taught me it's an art that's studyable. So I've been sort of, without thinking about it, I've been studying it more and I've been going to live comedy shows and, and, and watching and thinking, oh, that worked. Why did that work? Oh, that one didn't work. That didn't work. And thinking, what did I enjoy as an audience member? Because what I found with most comedians these days is they're quite crass and they're, they're, quick, to, they're quick to pick on people in the audience. And... I think you can interact with the audience in a positive way. It doesn't have to be yeah. sort of shooting them down. Um, so I've just slowly been making notes and making notes. And I've done lots of compa uh, comparing over the years. And I've been a ring announcer for wrestling things. Uh, but people keep telling, telling me, oh, you should try stand-up. You should try stand-up. And I'm now of, of the opinion that, oh, yeah, maybe I should try stand-up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, a good place to do it is the Hot Water Comedy Club, you know, because they're told every Monday on the open mic night um, not to heckle. Ah. And that even that guy that was unprepared, I mean, it, his, his whole five minutes was to silence, but at the end, they applauded him off the stage. Well, the compere had to drag him off, really. <laughs> he, he sort of stood there and he... He kept looking at these notes and going through pages of paper. I don't think he told one a single joke. And at the end, he looked at the compere who was standing next to the stage and said, um, what, what happens now? And the compere said, will you get off so I can get on? You know. <laughs> but um, there was another guy, you know, I've seen some bad stuff there that nearly put me off going completely. Um, how somebody can have the courage to get up and, and and make jokes about a certain type of thing. I mean, so I, I couldn't see, but somebody must have shook their head in, in um, disapproval. And the, the the comic kicked off on them. Don't you shake your head at me. How dare you either laugh or you don't laugh, or you don't sit there shaking your head. Honestly, but what he was doing was um, was nothing short of total disgusting. I'm not even going to... Yeah. find a polite way to tell you what he was talking about, you know, a PG way. I don't think there is one. So I just, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I was shocked and I thought, what, what was it in your brain that you thought people would laugh at that subject? You know, and, and, and particularly in what you were saying, of course they're going to shake their head. You know. Yeah. But, I mean, other than that, sorry, um, it, it's, it's a good place uh, it's a safe place, really, for someone doing it for the first time, you know, on a Monday, on, on your open night. And it's not an improv audience. I mean, I don't know what you think about improv in a stand-up. Um, I suppose it would have to be a two-person improv team doing something in the comedy clubs. You know, and completely improv, no stand-up, no jokes, no written material. Mm -hmm. It's about taking improv. What, what I'm interested in is taking improv out into a public audience. Now, what I mean by that is at the moment, generally, 
if there's a show going on, the audience is made up of other improvisers or friends of the improvisers, yeah. not just the um, the public. And I wonder whether that bridge can ever ever be crossed. You know, but it's funny you mention that because that is actually what Seki and I are trying to do. So in August, on August the twentieth, we are running our first Flinch of Funny Bone presents. Oh. Yeah, I've seen that. And with the the improv. Yeah. Now, the reason being, where, we, where we're hosting it at Cafe Issa in Munadissa, North yeah. Wales, they have a successful comedy night every other mm-hmm. month. And these, this sort of company come in and they sell out the venue. And it's always the same people coming back. And they love comedy. They love stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, there's an audience there for comedy. But... If we just said, hey, we're putting on an improv show, those people probably wouldn't turn up because they're like, well, what's improv? So yeah. what we've tried to do is say, okay, if they like stand-up comedy, so they like comedy. So if we tell them this is a comedy night with a difference, then hopefully it'll entice them to come along. They think, oh, we go to this venue. We like their comedy shows, so let's go along. Yeah. And then... um I'll be the compare of the show and I'll be doing a bit of sort of stand up in between the acts. We'll have a set from the Flinch of Funny Bone regulars. We'll have a set from the Oikers. We've got two stand ups coming along um, Joe Sargentson, uh, Melina Fiol, and, you know, Melina's from LCI as, as well. So there's a, a great LCI contingent going to be there. And, and hopefully. Joanne's from LCI too. Oh, is she? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she she was going there when we were at the Pilgrim, the Pilgrim before we moved to the um, to where we are now. Well, there we go. Well, the LCI yeah. uh, contingent is strong because even the Flincher Footy Bone crew is made up of uh, some LCI people as well that <laughs> that do both. So, uh, LCI is uh, running wild in North Wales on the twentieth of August. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a great idea because I think, um, I mean, when you say improvs. It's improv comedy. And if, if they know the word comedy, and particularly that you've got two stand-ups as well. So I think that audience, I think that will work. I hope it does work. I think it will. And it might. I think there's a good chance you will entice them to come back. Well, yeah, we're hoping. To improv, yeah. To an improv show, wherever that's, wherever that's put on, you know. I think that would be a great idea because I think that bridge needs to be crossed. At some point. Yeah, I think improv has, has really grown in popularity and it's kind of bubbling under, but it, it's it's not quite mainstream yet, you know? No. You know, going to the drop-in every week um, in town, there are new people coming all the time and joining. And um, some very talented people, you know, um, that are taken to it extremely well. And so I think that the community, especially... In Liverpool, particularly the one that I know, is getting bigger and bigger. You know, um, Emma is holding courses for beginners and and interim, and you know they're coming up with their showcases. There was one on Thursday just gone, um, which was, you know, excellent. Went really well. Very funny show, I believe. If I didn't go to it, but everybody's saying how fantastic it was. To be honest. Yeah, and I think 
I think that's that's what's great. Every, every show is fantastic and every show is different and unique and ne- never yeah. to be seen again. And that's what's that's what's great about improv. And there's great variety as well. Could you imagine? Um, okay, say you get a good 15 or 20 minutes as a stand-up and it's really, really good. You can trust it wherever you go. And you go on a tour. Some of the tours are like 20 dates, just doing the same things every night. Yeah. I think the longest run I was in in the play was, well, it was three months, and then I did the same play, playing the same character with a different company for another four months, which was stupid of me. (laughs) And that just... um, that just demoralized me completely doing this. It really was a case every night of, oh, God, here we go again, you know. Um, but with improv, there's the variety you write because it won't be seen again, you know, that whatever you do, that bit of magic that you'd enjoy, not just from something you've done yourself, but what somebody else has done, that they stick in my memories when I come away from improv. Uh, I do, I do, obviously, I do think, oh, yeah, I'm glad I did that, I'm glad I said that, and that went well, that got a good laugh, so I'm happy about that. But I also come away thinking, you know, about what other people have done, and that lifts me as well. You know, it's the last thing I think of as I've got my head down on the pillow going to sleep, is going over what happened either, you know, in the, um, in the, in the, in the, in the drop-in. But I'm doing a course at the moment. It just started on Wednesday, and it's a script, um, not a script writing course. The sketch, a, the sketch writing course. Yeah, the sketch yeah. course. Oh, and that, awesome. that, that seems to be going okay. I think I know, after the first one, I think I know what she's going to do. And I think all it is is, um, you know, when you get a, a suggestion from the audience, yeah, they say, okay, you're a farmer. And you're at the you're at the country fair. Well, I think we've got to go back with something like that next Wednesday. Um, so I think we're just choosing our own, and okay. then maybe we've got to improvise it, and then and then maybe script it and do it again. It's like turning up and saying, "This is what we improvised a few days ago. Here it is again." I, th- I guess, I mean, it's a bit, we've we, we done loads of exercises on um, on Wednesday, physical exercises and warm-ups and getting to know each other and all that kind of stuff. So um, I- I'll probably know more after next Wednesday. But it seems an interesting thing to do. Yeah, I think sort of sketch comedy often sort of relies on improv to kick it off with ideas. Yeah. And then, and then you go through various sort of improv scenes, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, oh, there's something I think I can build on that." And then, so yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that character and then try this character in different settings or something, something along those lines. Not, not 100 percent sure. But um, what I've done before in improv, I'm going back to 1979. Now, was that before you were born? It's before I was born. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there was a group called the Cliffhanger Theatre Company, and they devised comedies that they took around pubs. And they come to the community centre and they did a two-week workshop with us where we devised 
So we would start an improv scene. I would know what my character was. I would know what my objective was. Um, and then we'd fill, fill it out in improv and try and make it funny. Sometimes it was a joke or something funny that we would fill out with improv, but make sure we slip that joke in there. Um, and th that was quite interesting. And that went really well. We'd, we'd done a, a pub in Speak, which is a rough area, and a rough pub, the Flying Saucer. I, I didn't want to do it. I was saying, maybe we shouldn't do that one. And we got there and set up, and there was only about four or five people, but there was a whole load of people in the pool room because it was an important pool match on or something. And um, one by one, they started to trickle in because they had a laughter, and they trickled in until it was packed where we were, and it went down really well. In the end, I was glad that we did it. But um, that was kind of the same thing, you know, just sort of improvising a play. And remembering, I don't think we ever wrote anything down. Just remember it. Yeah. Now, when you mentioned earlier about being on your own as a as a stand up compared to being with others yeah. in improv, there's something I always think whenever I am stood with a microphone. I yeah. I feel like the microphone gives me some sort of power that I don't feel that I have without the microphone. And this is this is even when I'm just doing school sports days, just, just yeah. any time when I'm on a mic, this it brings something alive in me that isn't quite there without the microphone. Now in improv, you're stood there and, and you don't use microphones generally and you have a great time. But I don't know, something comes over me when I have a microphone and it just unlocks a different side of my brain. And it's exciting because it only seems to unlock these trails of thought only unlock when the microphone is there take the microphone away and i'm back to being a bit more a bit more my normal self but i just want to ask when you stood there with the microphone do you feel it, you get some kind of power from it yeah definitely there is a sense of power i mean never ever uh, if you're like an audience member it's it's futile to argue with someone who's got a microphone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I've, I've heard some saying, I'm the one with the microphone, you idiot. <laughs> you really hear me. Um, yeah, well it, well, it is a power, isn't it? And it comes, you know, you're coming through the speakers, through the system, and you're connected to something powerful, you know, um, that, that could, you know, if you, if you touched it wrong, you could get a shock, you know. There is power in there, in the microphone. Yeah, definitely. Because I think in certain parts of you can relax a bit more because you don't have to hit the back row all that much. You've only got to hit the back of the microphone rather than the, rather than the back row. So, yeah, definitely a sense, a sense of being powerful, of having that power and, um, and, and that ability as well. And it's, it's, quite, it's also um, quite stylish. Isn't it? There's, there's, a, there's, there's a kind of style about having a microphone and you can use it in many different ways. Uh, it can be quite technical too. You know, if, you, if you're going to yeah. shout, um, like there was one, one where I followed the trail doing some sniffing, but I knew that if I just did it with the microphone by my chest where it was normally, because it's quite a powerful microphone. I am. So I brought it up nearer to me nose so people would know what I was doing. They could hear the sniffing. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be loud, then you've got to move it away. 
you know, because sometimes that can distract. Um, sometimes you even get a bit of, it can be distorted a little bit, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely a bit of power. But there is that thing of, it, it, it's, not, it's not when you're out there doing it. I always find it a lot better. It's the worst time for me is are the minutes up to going on. And you're thinking, oh my God, you know, have I made a terrible well my thing is what the hell am I what if what if I say to myself, what have you done now, Michael? What have you got yourself into? You know. Um and I say that to myself a lot of times. Um so but once I'm on, then that's it. It's about leap leaping into it. And um, and doing what you've planned when it comes to stand up, and you know, even in improv, if I feel a bit nervous, there's new people that I don't know, a lot of new people, and they only know a few people. There's still a nervousness there, but it's it, again, I'll go well, just get on and do what you've planned, and by by that I mean yes and 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 support support you support whoever comes on with you. And and yes, and they're the two. Just get on and do that, and then it doesn't matter what happens. You know, either something's going to be funny or it isn't. But then, them two things I, I focus on. I think any performance there is that that sense of you want to do well as, as a performer. You ultimately yeah. want to do well, and you want people to enjoy what you're doing. And I think people feel nerves in different ways. Mm. Um, because people people have seen me perform, whether it's back in my sort of band singing days, whether it was when I was doing pantomimes, whether it's doing improv or whether I was a, like a wrestling ring announcer or anything. People see you be confident in that situation and they think that that's what you're like all the time, even just on a night out. So if I go out and I go out sort of on a night out clubbing or whatever, I'm straight to the dance floor and something there's a there's a switch in me and it switches on and I I'm I'm obsessed with getting lost in that moment and dancing the night away to the point where I don't drink or do drugs or anything like that but people think this guy can only be like that because he's drunk or because he's on drugs yeah. and it blows their mind when they find out that I'm completely sober and I'm just yeah. living in the moment yeah. and as soon as that goes away whenever so it's like an adrenaline high that when you can unlock it, I think that's why I think that's why people love performing because it unlocks that natural energy high. But then when yeah. when you come off the stage and it goes away, you don't know how to get back to it again because people have thought in the past, oh, they've seen me be confident on a the stage. They think I'm super confident all the time. When that's not the case, and I can actually be quite insular and quite shy sometimes off the stage, particularly before a performance, because you get in your head about it and you start to to worry and it's because you want to do well and you want people to enjoy what you're doing yeah um i know there's a thing on amazon i forget what it's called but it's a it's a, a female canadian comedian and she's hosting a show and the other um comics turn up but it's backstage and it's about being backstage with the comics before they go on and you'd be, I was surprised how, how confident they are when they're on stage, but how, how, how falling apart they are backstage, you know, really nervous, some of them feeling sick. Um, um, not, Jimmy Carr was being sick. He wanted to vomit. And you see him on stage and he's the most confident 
performer you could ever imagine, you know. Um, and um, a couple of others, I can't remember their names now, but they were well-known comedians. Uh, and they, they were in pieces completely. But that's the thing with performing, no matter whether it's um, a band, um, a singer, a actor or improviser or anything, it's being in that moment. It's absolutely glorious. I've hit that at that sweet spot in a couple of plays that I've done. And they've been the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, there was a, um, an actor, John Hartley, and he said to me once, he was that experience. He was like um, the, the understudy to Michael Gambon. Whatever Michael Gambon didn't say, yeah. he, he, wow. he would probably get in, in, in jobs. You know? <laughs> um, and he said to me, you'll do something. That will be so-so. Hmm, and it might be on television or it might be in the West End and lots of people will see it. And you will also do something which is the absolute it, the most brilliant thing ever. And it might be in a church hall or it might be in some small regional theatre. And he's absolutely right. A man was in a, in a regional theatre. Um, but it just in that moment where you don't, your monitor actually switches off. You know, you have a monitor which will tell you the rules of the game you're playing in improv. Yeah. Although you, you, you're in character for whatever you're doing, your monitor says what the rules are and when you should edit or, or anything. Same with acting on stage. And when you're in that sweet spot, it really is in the moment. So all, all that goes. And it's just, it's almost um, automatic, you know, um, auto mode. And it's the best place to be. And it's where we should always aim for, in, no matter what we're doing, in any kind of performance, to be in the moment. Yeah. Sounds no. like a, a cliche because it's, it's said so. Anything that's said over and over becomes a cliche. But <laughs> um, it is true, being in that moment. Yeah. And I think, like, for me, the pandemic was a wonderful time because of improv, because LCI were running these classes and I was able to reach that point and get in the moment so regularly uh, yeah. across the pandemic era when so many people were feeling lost and alone and disconnected from everyone, finding that place in my brain because of improv made it so enjoyable really and um, because yeah. improv can take you there and yeah it was in this little zoom room with only those people there and only those people will ever know what it was and, and mm -hmm. we'll find it funny or whatever but just to be able to take my brain to that place in a time yeah. where like nothing else was really happening like that for anyone else it felt it felt magical mm. I felt a bit, um, I thought it made me realize how large improv was, how big improv was. You know, there was, um, uh, oh, um, oh, Anne Marie. There was a woman anyway who'd done a, a free improv workshop once a week, which was, um, from Peter, it was truly international, people from all over the world, um, Australia. America, 
India, everywhere, and it was absolutely brilliant. She's got a, a, two names, not Anne Marie, something like that. I can't remember. She'll kill me now. <laughs> I'm just looking through. Is it Sandra Lynn? It is Sandra Lynn. Thank Sandra you. Lynn. <laughs> Bless you, Sandra Lynn. You were brilliant. Uh, yeah, that was Friday nights, wasn't it? What was it? What was it called? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Friday nights. Yeah, I had a name. I can't think. But yeah, she regularly had over twenty mm-hmm. improvisers there, didn't she? From all over the world. Yeah. So sometimes there were too many, maybe. Um, but um, oh no, it's gone. I don't forget things. I can't recall them. I understand what the <laughs> recall. It's there. You know, but I just can't recall it. It happens to me with names and with words as well. I sometimes go along to Improv Shine, the Anki runs, and that is a similar sort of thing. It's just international improvisers getting together maybe once a month just for a jam. Yeah. And it's it's manic, but it, it's a good kind of manic. Yeah, yeah. And we and we run off into, um, we'd be given an exercise and then we'd go off into different Zoom rooms yeah, and do stuff, you know. And then sometimes you you don't know who you're gonna be with. I remember that now. Yeah, you'd sit there and then you'd wait for their face to pop up, and then you you know who you're working with. She was good. Yeah, Sandra Lim was excellent. Now I'd like to ask you a slightly different uh, tangent. Now I'd like to ask you about the time that you yeah. interviewed Bob Geldof. Oh yeah, because I that remember. Was- yeah, you posted some some clips a little while back. Yeah, and I thought, wow, the story behind that was incredible. So, can you just sort of give us a brief synopsis of of how that came about? Yeah, I, I was um, I'd just lost my job selling double glazing at the time. The company went bust or something, got raided by the police, one of the two, and he'd taken the company card off me, and I was in town, and I had not a penny in my pocket. Um, and I had to walk home, which was about eight miles. And I saw the poster for the Boontown Rats for that night. Um, and they were my favourite band. I knew all the records, all the albums and everything, all the songs on every album. And I looked at the theatre and I thought, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in and I'm going to watch them. So I went along to the theatre. Oh, no, I went to this place called the Blue Eye Gallery. I knew. And I bought all the reel-to-reel tape recorder with um, a microphone. Then I went to the theatre and asked to speak to the theatre manager. And it was some woman. And I got into theatre, into her office. And I said, you know, I'm a reporter. I want to interview Bob Geldof. And she said to me, love, I'm the manager of the theatre. You have to speak to the Boontown Rats manager to get permission for that. Which is obviously, that, that's right. <laughs> so I was also given. I went to the stage door. And there was a, a queue of fans there. And I started interviewing them, you know, on this real, real, because by now I've got my head into the fact that I'm, I'm a reporter, a roving <laughs> reporter. And then Geldof turned up and I said, any chance of an in-? Oh, no. First of all, I asked, I asked the Mick. He's the stage manager. And he was quite curious. And he just went, no. <laughs> and then I said to Geldof, any chance of an interview? And yeah, come on. He, he took me in. We did um, about 45 minutes. I know I had to change the reel. Uh, and it worked because I knew we talked about the albums and we talked about the songs on the albums and, and what they meant and the stories behind them. 
and I knew quite a lot about that. And he gave me a ticket, a pass for the for the show and a backstage pass. Um, and then went backstage after the show, got my suit on, took me tie off. Um, and I was absolutely drenched in sweat. And he came over to me and he flicked the sweat off my chest with his finger and said, oh, I've, I've enjoyed it too much. And he went, so oh, that's what it's all about. And then it's called The Mick. The, state, the manager walked past him and said, he's not after an interview, is he? And Gerdaf went, oh, he's done one. And he just walked off. <laughs> and, and then he said, come on, it's the drummer's birthday. We're having the bash upstairs. So, oh, the other thing, I saw him. I was backstage and there's a line of girls there. Very pretty um, young women. And get a force. Well, this is a this is a pop star thing now, so I'm I'm gonna catch his eye. I'm gonna wave goodbye and and thank you and everything. But he just walked past them. They were hello, Bob. Giggle, giggle. And he just walked right past them and come up to me. And then we went up to the birthday party. Then I went. We went back to the hotel and I interviewed Johnny Fingers in his room. I know it was 1982 because. Uh, every now and again, we have to stop because that guy came on the telly with news about the Falklands War. That very yeah. same guy. They've got some information for you about the war. So we had to switch off and listen to that. And I walked on the eight miles, mate, with that um, that reel-to-reel tape recorder held against my chest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, was, it, it remains the single best night of my life. One, I've had best good periods of my life. Yeah. It was fantastic. But for the single night, nothing beats that. It, because for somebody else, it would be Paul McCartney. For somebody else, it would be Mick Jagger. You know, it doesn't matter yeah. that it was only the Bhutan Rats. They were they were my band. I, I liked them as much as other people would like the Beatles or, or um, John Lennon or whatever. And, you know, I made a few mistakes. Oh, man, honestly, my toes killed when I listened back to it. <laughs> I said to him, have you ever been in love? And he went, I'm in love now. And I'm, that's with, um, with, um, with, um, um, and he went, Paula. You know, there was a few things. There was a song on one of the albums called This Is My Room. And I, I brought that up saying it was my favourite song and he said it was his favourite too. And it went from there, really. Um, and when I was changing the reel on the machine, you know, I didn't know how to do it properly, so I was messing up. And he said to me, I know that trick. He goes, you're, pretend, you're making out that you're incompetent. That'll make me feel more at ease. So I'm going <laughs> to give more away. <laughs> yeah, you want to be, mate. <laughs> I'm not really incompetent. It's all a trick. <laughs> the world was great. And the, and the concert was brilliant. You know, I was, I was drenched in sweat. Everybody was up and I was dancing in the aisles with this machine by my feet, you know, in my suit and shirt and, you know. Be double glazing gear, basically. <laughs> it's an interesting yeah. point you make, though. So, like to you, Bob Geldof, Boomtown Rats, they are like the pinnacle. And mm-hmm. I think fame is subjective. Yeah. People are only as famous as anyone's brain makes them out to be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And because I think some people went when I tell them. The great thing was, um, is that I still had the machine. Sometimes I've been in gatherings, say house parties or something. And we you know where people are sitting around chatting 
and I've told him this story that I've told you. And sometimes you can see them making eye contact with each other. This is a, uh, that's a load of nonsense, this, you know. And then somebody might say, so, Michael, have you still got this? Expected me to say, oh, no, I've lost it. Hold on there, I'll just go and get it. And that's my little yeah. mom. Triumphant. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that was brilliant. That was a brilliant night. And it's like, I live in a, a geeky little world and I go to comic cons and I'll meet yeah. people from like films and TV shows that I love. But if I go to what I sort of refer to as, uh, I'm doing quotation marks here as I speak, sort of, if I go and speak with normal people about it, I, I yeah. like the the staff room in work and I'll talk about these stories. Yeah. They're not interested. They don't know who I'm talking about. It don't, doesn't register to them. But then I, I, I'll mention it to someone else that's a fan and they're like, oh my God, you met so-and-so. Yeah. And I'll be able to tell them the story about it. And yeah, it, it's a weird thing. It's just very subjective thing. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I was impressed in looking at the photos on who you all met. Because... Um, Dave went as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and that's something that, you met Jules, didn't you? The, the the guy who played the cat in um Oh Danny John Jules, yeah. Yeah. Um well I worked with him uh, on an advert for the Matt West. He, he's a nice bloke. I would uh, if I went there though, I would I would like to go to one of them to be honest, because I like science fiction. The only thing I'm not really into is um the costume superheroes. I'd love to watch a film about some guy, for whatever reason, gets these powers. The same powers as as Superman or... Uh, I don't mind Superman. I don't mind Batman. But I think there's too too many costume ones now with, with a cape on. I think, can't it just be a normal bloke that this happens to? And <laughs> I'd feel about how he deals with it. He might want to go and fight crime. That'd be fine. That'd be a good thing to do to, to help people... They're vulnerable to help, you know, use his powers in a good way. He might want to do something, but why has he got to put a hood on his head and a cloak on his back? You know, that's what ruins it for me, to be honest. But I, I don't mind the genre. I love science fiction. I'm a big um, science fiction fan. Just to uh, give the counter argument to the hood and the, the masks and all that, I would say most most superheroes do that to protect their loved ones. Because if people knew who they were, and they were their loved fighting. ones become an easy target. Yeah. And, and and the other thing I don't like, have you seen the film called Jumper? Jumper? It's about a guy who can just teleport to anywhere in the world. He just jumps, basically. But when you get some, or anyone, there's, there's a few films, actually, where people have some ability, some, but there's always an organisation that's after them. To, to, to kill them, do you want them dead or something? Or <laughs> CIA? And I think, I suppose it would be hard to write, but what I'd like to see, you know, what would be my favourite film, I think, is someone who wakes up in the morning, the alarm clock goes off, he has a shower, gets ready for work, goes out to the bus stop, standing there, realises the bus isn't going to come, then realises how quiet it is, and then realizes after the while that he's the only person in the world. And but when those things are done, they're always low budgets. So he immediately goes to a wasteland, you know, because it's a lot cheaper to film in the middle yeah. of the world. This car, I'll go to the desert. 
Everyone, <laughs> I'm going to go there. No, don't go to Buckingham Palace, you know, and make a cup of tea there, will you? Just go to the go to the desert. You know, really frustrating. I think often when I watch TV shows or films and you know something is about to happen and mm. then you're like, oh, don't do that. And then they do it and then the bad thing happens. But yeah. then part of me is like, well, if they didn't do that, what would I be watching? I'd just be watching people happy. Like, I love uh, my yeah. soaps and Neighbours in Home and Away. Sadly, Neighbours is about to end. But, yeah. like, whenever bad things happen to the characters, I'm like, no, why did it have to happen? Why couldn't they just have a nice day? And I'm like, well, is there really a show if it's just people having a nice day all the time? Or when somebody in them soaps is going to do something bad, is doing something bad that nobody else knows about, and you think, yeah. why can't catch him? Go back. Don't walk away. <laughs> Go back and look through the window and you'll see him. Yeah, but did that, and the storyline's gone, you know. And the thing I think, once you have a mystery that goes on and on and on, someone can be really good and loads of hooks, and you get really hooked into it. Then it becomes a challenge to make the final reveal any good, you know, because it, sometimes it's always a bit of a letdown because the hooks along the way have been so good. Yeah. I think the TV show Lost is casing point. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that put me off um, flashbacks forever. So you get to an internet, and you know that guy, um, the big guy, he goes into the into the bushes and he finds a hatch with his lottery winning numbers as the combination, and then he doesn't tell him. I'd be one. Everybody, everybody, look! Here's a hatch, and you won't believe this. It's got my winning lottery numbers. <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. Oh God. Um, well, I've just seen time, and we're going to have to wrap this up. But I just want to say that was a phenomenal chat. Thank you very much. Oh, really enjoyed catching you. up with you. Yeah, thank you. And it's been brilliant. Nice and back again. And if people want to improvise with you or want to see you on stage anytime, doing any stand-up, um, where can they find you? Well, we got. Um... I'll be doing the drop-ins on a Monday, which is the same as the open mic night. That's the other thing. The open mic night at the um, Hot Water Comedy Club is a Monday, which means I won't be able to go to the drop-in. Um, and then we're, we're going to be in that show. I think you're in it as well, aren't you, the Oikers? Yes. On the 31st of this month, the end of this month, at um, the Hope Street Theatre. Yep. 31st of July, Hope Street Theatre. That's it, yeah. And that's it um, for the moment. Um, I think I will I will go back um, to the stand-up and give it another go. Also, I, I, I was so impressed with Dan Tiernan that I, I, I was using a lot of energy on stage and I was moving about quite a lot. I think next time I do it, I'm going to be more relaxed and just stand still. And just do do it that way. Something Dan did when Seki and I saw him, because Seki and I were sat right in the very front. Yeah. And Seki was eating a pot noodle in the break. Because yeah. Seki likes a pot noodle. And um, so she was sat there at the front. And I, I said to her, like, any comedian worth their salt is going to pick up on the fact that there's someone in the front room eating a pot noodle. Yeah, and yeah. and Dan Tiernan was the next comedian on. Mm. And 
uh, yeah, he 100% made it part of his set that there's someone there eating a pot noodle. And and I loved it because obviously that's spontaneous. You can't plan for someone eating a pot noodle in the front row of your set. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's good. You need to be able to adapt to what's going on around you and say, yeah, yeah I do have my material, but here's a thing I can't possibly not talk about. <laughs> and that's the improv, isn't it? That's the yeah. a bit of improv in the act. Did he have a pad with him on stage and no pad? He did, yes. Did he do that? Yeah, he did that. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> because, and he's also taking the mickey of those that come on with the pad as well, I think. Yeah. You know, because I, I could have done that, but I just didn't want to. I just think that, you know, you're going to be more prepared than that. Yeah. But yeah, hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, well, right then, I'm going to say thank you very much. That was fantastic, and I hope to see you again soon. Take care, Ian. Thanks so much, mate. Well, thank you so much to Michael. That was a really great chat. It was great to catch up with him and just to discuss things that we share passions for, comedy and improv and various other things. Uh, you know, just catching up with an old friend there, really. Uh, I, I hope that you enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. I think Michael is a fantastic improviser, a fantastic human being, and um, I often talk on these uh, bits where I do the outro where I, I mention the fact that I've spoken with the guests before and after the interview as well. And Michael and I actually continued our chat after this and we were talking about comedians that uh, we are both fans of and what we love about the comedians and it was just a really great chat um so the the portion of the chat you heard was awesome but then we also continued uh, just to chat for a while after and i hope that uh, put a smile on your face listening to michael's stories and michael's opinions on things as much as it put a smile on my face now there were a couple of things that we spoke about there and they are shows that are coming up now, when I record these interviews, I record them ahead of, of the time that they go out. And I've just been doing the maths here. And I think that this episode is going out the, the, the week of the Improv and Sketch Comedy Summer Show from LCI. So at this moment in time, there should be about a week before the show. And you can check out the Liverpool Comedy Improv Facebook page and the Liverpool Comedy Improv website. For ticket information, if there's any tickets available, that is where you will find the information uh, for for the show. And yeah, come along. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. You know, there's there's lots going on. You're gonna see so many talented people gathered together on the stage. And it's just gonna be a real celebration of the improv talent in the area, the improv community uh, in and around. Liverpool. And the other thing that we discussed there in terms of, of shows coming up, I mentioned there that Seki and I were putting a show together and there's loads of LCI alumni involved and that's happening on the 20th of August at Cafe Issa which is in Munadissa in North Wales. It's not that far from Liverpool. Um, so if you are up for a night of comedy with a difference, then yeah, come along. We've got Melina Joe Sargentson, two great stand-up comedians that are doing great things on the circuit right now. And then we have got Flinch of Funny Bone with our regulars doing a, an improv set. And we've also got 
the Oikas performing. And the Oikas, of course, formed at LCI during the pandemic and we're still going strong. And we're just super excited to be, you know, bringing what we love to, the, to an audience and, and giving people a platform to perform. So if you're interested in going to that show, check out Flinch of Funny Bone on Facebook and ticket information uh, is there. And that is pretty much it for this week. But as always, I'll just say if you are interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the information you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram we are at Live Comedy Improv. There is a Facebook page which I've already mentioned but do check it out because it's often the place where you're going to get links to tickets and just get updates uh, of various things first. And if you are a member of the LCI, uh, I can't even speak today. If you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird. I will make the arrangements as soon as possible. Now, it could be that you've already been on the show before, just like Michael today, but a lot could have happened. Maybe you've gone down some interesting avenues and you've got lots to talk about since you were last on. Then I would love to have you back on and just have a catch up, see where you're up to in the improv world and in life in general. So, yeah, just contact me or contact Emma and hopefully we will make that happen as soon as possible if you are listening on apple or spotify please do give us a five star rating uh, give us a nice positive review just do anything like that because it helps to spread the word it helps to give us a boost to get our name out there and you know as michael mentioned in that chat there actually i don't know if he mentioned it in the chat or whether he mentioned it with me before the chat, but we, Michael and I definitely had a conversation uh, about some recent good news about ratings and things. So you can really help us out with with uh, keeping the show on an upward trajectory just by doing simple little things like reviewing the show. And if you're interested in following me on social media, I specify social media, don't just start following me in person, that would be weird. Um, but you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones and you'll find all things me uh, all over the place there. And that is pretty much it. Thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. More great guests coming up over the summer, so do keep coming back for your Liverpool Comedy Improvcast fix every other Monday. Until next time, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv. And yes, and...